0: My name is Katie Heinley, and this is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fisheries science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Fisheries Pod. If you're the generous sort, you can be like John, Robin, Janet, Ben, Walker, and Garrett and support the podcast on Patreon with either recurring or one-time donation. This helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, stickers, and face masks on our Teespring store. Today we have our first Fish Tales episode, which is an article written and submitted by Stuart Allison McFerrin. The article he wrote is titled Darwin's Finches of the Great Lakes: Whitefish Before and After Commercial Fishering, and was originally published in the Grand Traverse Journal on June 1, 2015. I took a job as a deckhand for the Lang Fisheries of Leland Harbor. Ross Lang operated the Joy and the Francis Clark, both commercial fishing boats. As one man expected, a commercial operation means catching fish for profit. Unlike charter fishing operations, we worked until the ice clogged the harbor and the steel hole could no longer break a path through ice packed into Leland Harbor. The Francis Clark was a classic high-decked Great Lakes fishing tug. Everything inside was dedicated to the lifting of nets. Nets could be set in the deepest part of the lake. When the net came in through the side near the bow, fish were taken out and put in boxes. The net was carefully stacked in a different kind of box ready for setback and out the back of the boat. The crew, Ross and I, worked at a table near the lifter. Ross steered and I stacked the net in a box. On days when there were lots of chubs in the net, it was slow going, sometimes taking from the first light until the afternoon to lift. The chubs, or Corrigonis hoi, are part of a genus including whitefish, cisco, and lake herring. There were days when we caught over a thousand pounds. I was a novice fisher but had the advantage of never getting sick. We fished from the northwest of North Manitou Island to Platte Bay, some of the same waters that Magdalene Laney, Burfiend fished in 1869. She kept her boat at Port Oneida and sold her catch to the crews of the steamers that stopped at Port Oneida. In this description of 17-year-old Laney's fishing methods, written in 1869 and published in the Evening Wisconsin newspaper, in October of that year, she had been the master of a handsome craft and a set of gill nets. She puts them out in early April and continues them till late in the fall. She is out every day at daylight and again in the evening in all but the roughest weather. She takes a younger sister with her to help set and draw the net. She often brings in a couple hundred fine lake trout whitefish. Her white mast and blue pennon is known by people far along the coast. Boats salute her in passing. At the time Laney Burfeind fished, there were ten known species of Corrigonis living in different parts of the lake. Miss Burfeind may have caught and sold Corrigonis that were never described and included in the genus. Coragonus ohi and Clupiaformis were the fish Ross and the crew caught in the Manitou Passage more than a hundred years later. As the net came in, so did other fish and objects from deep, dark places, 300 feet down. A cod relation, the big bad Burbit, also known as lawyer, came in over the side with the ohi catch. Spiky stone rollers, steamboat clinkers, and the occasional trout came in with the chubs, but of course nothing else but Coragonus ohi. They had the deep, dark lake to themselves. On bad days, Ross sped up the lifter and the net came in empty. In 1984, a net could stand on the lake bottom and catch nothing. Not so today. Bushels of quagga mussels foul nets as they filter the same zooplankton, preferred by corrigonids. After months of releasing chubs from the net, I began to be aware of the variation in color and shape. There were very slight differences in the hue of the silver of the sides. Sometimes I wonder if I was witness to the last species of Corgonas that was sold as a chubby Mary at the bluebird, in Leland. It is my understanding that this popular drink is no longer made with Corrigonis Ohi, but with Corrigonis RTD. Not having a degree in mixology, I can't be sure. Editor's note. Upon further inquiry, the Chubby Mary is still available for consumption at the Cove restaurant in Leland. Described as part appetizer, part drink, Chubby Mary is made with a house Bloody Mary mix, a pickle, two olives, and lemon garnish to accompany the fish, a smoked chub, served with pita chips. The servers were unsure what species of Corrigonis is now used. The U.S. Fisheries Commission reported in 1890 that whitefish and Lake Herring, both within the group Corrigonis, accounted for 58% of the commercial catch in Lake Michigan. At the time, there were 11 commercial fishing boats operating in Benzie County and 11 in Lillanau, none in Grand Traverse. The Booth Company was developing a wide network to exploit fisheries and fishers in both American and Canadian waters. Corygonus nigripinnis was found in great abundance in the deep waters of Lake Michigan in 1890. Blackfin whitefish were sought mostly in stream vessels and are taken in gillnets at 60 to 110 fathoms deep. The longjaw whitefish, Corrigonis zenithiqua, Lived at similar depths, but did not have the black markings on the fins. The Manitou Islands have little in common with the Galapagos Islands, other than the fact that a unique group of species evolved over time in isolation. Diving in the Galapagos, I saw many fish, and I talked with the fishers unloading shark fins. I saw finches flitting about under the table of the cafe at Puerto Ayora. As a coffee drinker, I could not miss them underfoot, as they evolved a the taste for biscotti. It was fascinating to see the same assemblage of species that Darwin had so famously observed. As the ice receded from the Great Lakes, the Corgonids were at the margin 10,000 years ago. Like Darwin's finches, they were separated into different populations as the lakes rose and fell. Each group changed, so the ice continued to melt. The populations responded to local conditions and donned different colors and shapes. Deepwater blackfins became the dominant planktivore in the fathoms of Lake Michigan. The pelagic long jaw Corrigonids are hard to spot in the deep, remote places of the big lakes, but like the finches, changed in response to the environment. While inhabiting remote niches and not making big splashes, the Great Lakes Corrigonids are a group of fish with many names that reflect the wide distribution and importance of the group. Other species of Corrigonids are kiyi, Bartaletti, Johane, rayardi, and Habasi. Hoyi are thought to still be present in Lake Michigan and sometimes called bloater chub. The blackfin and short jaw can be found in Lake Superior. Corrigonans evolved the ability to move the water column by regulating buoyancy as they fed on zooplankton. Over time, the Great Lakes fishing tug was perfected to a point where fish numbers were threatened. The lifter was developed to pull nets from the deep regions of the lake. The cover decks on the tugs allowed fishing operations to continue into bad weather. One such vessel is on display at the Sleeping Bear National Lakeshore in Glen Haven, near where Laney fished. When the steamer Norman lay wooding up at Port Oneida in 1869, it was recorded that Miss Burfiend had delivered fish. The clerk at the office tipped his hat to her, as if he were in the presence of a duchess. That's the smartest girl in Michigan, said the engineer as she passed out the gangway. The girl gave no heed to admiring glances and compliments that followed her, but straight away sought her little fish cabin where she was mending nets by the shore. The decline of crotagonas took place over many years. The introduction of chemicals and in invasive species changed the ecology of the Great Lakes. Tiny eggs of Corrigonis kii and Corrigonis oi, left to drift in the water column, were gobbled up by unwanted intruders. The free-floating Corrigonis zenithbicus eggs were acted on by numerous kinds of chemicals. Ecological change has come to the water column in ways that biologists are still trying to understand, but it is clear that the diversity of the Corrigonis group has been reduced since 1869. It is unfortunate that the group has been so reduced. More than any other assemblage of organisms, they evolved in the Great Lakes and represent the lake environment as true natives, just as finches represent the Galapagos Islands. Thanks, Stuart, for your fishtail submission. If you'd like to read the article yourself, I've included a link to it in the show notes. If you have a fishtail you'd like to share in a future episode, please fill out our link to Google form. This can either be submitting an article like Stuart did, or you can record yourself with whatever field tale, a poem, short essay that you'd like to submit and have published on a future episode of the Fisheries Podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of me or the podcast, you can find me at KB Hindley on Twitter, and the podcast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Pod, or send us an email to feedback at the fisheriespodcast.com. I hope that you all enjoyed this episode. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app, or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon, or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast shirts, hoodies, and stickers available on Teespring. I'm Katie Heinle. Thank you for listening to our first episode of Fish Tales.